0: Welcome to Dismantling the High Performance Narrative, a podcast that challenges what it means to be a high performer. Here are your hosts, Lauren Williams and Rob Kalvaroski. Welcome to Dismantling the High Performance Narrative. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, John Richardson joins the show. We talk about fear-based leadership and the impacts on the people We talk about how therapy has benefited John, and John gives us some of his tips on how to improve your mental health. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to Dismantling the High Performance Narrative on your favorite podcast platform, and if you want to check out what both Lauren and I are doing, go to HighPerformanceNarrative.com, and you can check out the services that we both offer. Everyone, we really appreciate you listening, and here's the interview with John Richardson. We are back. Welcome to Dismantling the High Performance Narrative. I'm Rob Kalvaroski, and as always, we have our in-house high-performance coach and former first overall draft pick, Lauren Williams. Lauren, how are you?
1: I'm doing great. How are you doing this morning?
0: I'm good. Uh, I guess big update for me is... Last night, I was back in the polo pool for the first time in about a year and a half. So it's been, it was awesome. It was, I mean, first off, I guess polo is not a sport for people who are out of shape. However, (laughs) it was a ton of fun.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. That's so exciting. Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah, it is exciting. We're back in the pool twice a week now. Fingers crossed um, that it stays this way, but it's great to be back and it's, for me I think it's going to do wonders for my mental health just because of the connection and the fun and the flow that you get in the pool. So I'm happy to be back.
1: Absolutely. I love to hear that.
0: <laughs> and we got a special guest with us today straight out of Massachusetts, John Richardson. John, how are you? I'm doing good. Happy to be here. We're we're happy to have you. And John, for people who don't know you, Can you give a background on yourself? Sure.
2: Yeah. So uh, I don't anticipate that a lot of people will know me. So uh, part of the reason I wanted to do this is because I'm uh, pretty much as close to a normal guy as you're going to meet, I think. So, uh, But I've been uh, in heavy industry for the last decade or so um, since I, I got out of school. Uh, my background's mechanical engineering, and then uh, I spent a long stint in quality engineering, and then maintenance and reliability, which is what I do uh, now. And so, um, yeah, that's I've been uh, a couple different places in the U.S. I moved to Massachusetts uh, about a year ago, uh, and so uh, been enjoying that and uh, working in a new industry now. So, uh, but I'm just here to share a couple of things
0: so i love it and for me john like i i'm sure i mean you know a little bit about my story but what i talk about now is a lot about the leadership that i've seen in heavy industry and like my career has been in mining and oil and gas and and basically in those types of industries like what have you seen over your career in like what type of leaders have you seen and like what has that fostered in terms of both the health of the employees and the happiness, but also like the engagement.
2: Yeah, so I've definitely seen a tendency um, with leaders in the heavy industry to uh, skew towards the "let's let's just get it done" type of attitude. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we we need to make this happen. We need to get it done. We need to figure out how to make it happen, and any uh, cost to the employee comes afterwards. It's a secondary consideration. Uh, Now, that's that's changing. I've definitely encountered leaders that uh, are much more mindful of that, that are much more open to discussing uh, just kind of emotional intelligence and, uh, you know, the well-being of their employees. But there's definitely a strong presence of an older school of thought.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, obviously that's what I see as well. Now you you mentioned there are leaders who are skewing towards this newer style leadership or like the high performance leadership that Lauren and I teach. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, are they younger or are they older and they've just gone through their own personal transformation or what do you think about them?
2: Yeah. So the ones that I've encountered, um, they, they tend to be a little bit younger, um, but not necessarily exclusively. But what I will say is they tend to be people who are not uh, not bosses, but are leaders. People who are very much focused on leading people and uh, achieving change and results. And so the people who have that type of mindset, so I'm thinking very specifically about my my uh, most recent or, or current mentor who really has that type of mindset. And he's he's a leader at the company that I, I worked for before where I'm at now, but uh, he's very much focused on leadership. And when you have that mindset of how to lead people, I think it it takes you down the path of what do people need in order to be successful. Mm-hmm. And that changes the way you think about the problem. So,
0: uh, yeah. I mean, I love that. And and that's kind of like where we come at it from a leadership point of view. And, and I think what I've started to see recently a lot um, in a few different conversations that I've had has been this attitude of like, why are my people not showing up with the answers? Why are my people not delivering on time? Why are my people not doing this type of thing? And, mm-hmm. and there's like frustration around that. And to me, I look at the problem oppositely. I look at it like, what are you not doing as a leader to make your people effective? Because there's something there that that they're not getting from you, which is preventing them from being able to deliver whatever you need, whether that's the instruction being you know, clear enough whether the you know direction, whether it's authority, you know, all these different things. It's like for me, that's where I want people to start is instead of hammering your people and being frustrated at them, it's think about and lean in. And we talk about this a lot with with Lauren is like lean in with curiosity and figure out why. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. That was one of the uh one of the things that that he taught me, that my, my mentor, uh, Chad, taught me that I, I had a question I, I brought to him with uh, a, a large amount of turnover we were seeing in a certain like position, uh, and he was very candid and very straightforward and said, turnover is a management problem. Um, people are not leaving and fleeing from a position they've been doing for their entire career. They're leaving from the person who's leading that position and that like really resonated with me and changed the way I was looking at the problem to try and uh, address uh, higher up the cause of issues further down. So, and and that leads into any number of of problem solving methodologies that we use all the time with root cause analysis or something like that. But uh, very, very directly, this is a management problem that needs to be solved at a higher level, so.
0: Yeah, I mean it's absolutely true, right? And and it's what we I mean we talked about a few weeks ago with Matt Command was people don't leave jobs because basically like their manager, they don't like their manager, they don't like their team, like typically it's very much like a values disconnect which leads to that. Now, like Lauren, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like When you're doing your work with people in high performance, like regardless of industry or position or athletics or whatever, like this values disconnect, how does that play out? And like, what do people feel?
1: Mm. Yeah, so I think the, the first thing that I always talk to people about is you have to think about your values as like your moral compass almost that guide you in the direction that you want to go in. And your values kind of dictate how you respond to feedback, what kind of feedback you generally like. As a person, the things that you find are important to you and, like I said before, kind of point you in the direction of things that you like versus dislike in general. And when we see this happening with leadership, one of the interesting things that I find all the time is people want to lead everybody in the exact same way. It's like this doesn't work because everybody has different values.
2: Right, right.
1: Yeah, everyone has different values that um really guide them in the direction that they're moving. So you have to figure out what's important to them and then lead in a fashion that allows both you to give them the opportunity to meet their values so they feel good about what they're doing. And so that they even feel good about maybe the not so positive feedback that you're giving them because they know that, hey, I can do something with this. Um, Or you can choose to keep leading in the way that you are. And what you end up seeing is, you know, disconnect, which we talked a lot about. You see disengagement, you see lack of interest, you see absenteeism. So when people live in accordance with their values, you see happy people. You see people who are even excited to go to work, who enjoy working with the people that they're around every day. When you don't see alignment with values, then you see those things I just talked about. Absenteeism, disengagement and general lack of interest.
2: Yeah, definitely. Like that. I, I can't emphasize that enough. What I've learned uh, through the leaders that I've worked with and now through leading people myself is that you can't, you can't apply the same methods to everyone uh, and you can't lead somebody that you don't know. You really have to make the effort to make that connection in order to understand what they need and how you can lead them.
0: It's, it's so important. And and like one of the foundational elements of, of that is, and, and people come at this a different, I've seen, I've heard different ways about this. Some people say, you know, you don't need to be friends to be a leader. I do somewhat agree with that. But I do think you need to have a relationship. Mm -hmm. And because with a relationship, you need to form trust. And in order to form trust, you need to have connection. And you need to like, talk the same language and like all these things around psychological safety and inclusion. Like you can't get there without relationships and without connection. And Mm -hmm. so it's, it's super important as leaders to think about like how you're showing up and like, what are you actually leaning into with your people?
1: (laughs) Now, Now, John, I mean, obviously we could talk
0: about leadership all day. Um, but that's another podcast, actually. <laughs> so, so, John, can you tell us a little bit, like, obviously, you came on today to talk a little bit about your experience with mental health. Like, do you want to talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, definitely. So, I had a a number of years where I struggled with some mental health issues, so some uh, depression, some anxiety. The big one for me was uh, some anger, which I'll talk about a little bit. But, um, you know, it really started. I mean, there, you know, everything goes back to uh, culture and the way that we're, we're raised and the way that we frame our worldview. But uh, for me, when I look back on the issues that I was having and when they started escalating, I had Uh, a a nerve tumor in my arm about eight years ago uh, that I was uh, I was spending some time with my dad uh, and I started realizing I couldn't I couldn't do some things that I used to be able to do Uh, and so I had been in high school uh, I was in junior ROTC really successful with that I was uh, an expert marksman uh, led the marksmanship team and then um, yeah you know, my dad took me shooting one day, and i couldn't I couldn't pull a trigger on the on the rifle anymore, right? And I didn't know why. Uh, and then I started noticing more things and more things. And I ended up having a a very rare uh, tumor that was growing inside of one of the nerves uh, in my right arm. And so that led to a couple of surgeries, uh, some loss of function. I had some muscle atrophy. Uh, and to this day, I still don't have all of my function. I have a fused joint on my hand. I have some limited feeling. Uh, and you know, I was a guitar player. I was a uh, you know, I played baseball. I did a lot of different things that required that. and then I found myself learning how to write again uh, because I had lost uh, so much feeling and motor skills in my hand. Uh, and then after that, uh, you know that was a long process, but Uh, Early in my career, one of the first mentors that I had, I wouldn't really have even openly called him a mentor at the time, but he was somebody I went to that I talked to that taught me a lot about quality and the field that I was working in. Uh, He died uh, by suicide uh, early in my career. And after that, I really had a lot of problems with the company I was working for with the way that I perceived they had handled the situation. Uh, I lasted there for about a year after that, uh, but absolutely just a miserable year. And I remember the first time I really knew something was wrong and something was off. I was driving to work in the morning and I I would go there. I lived in Evansville, Indiana at the time, and I would go there on uh, the Lloyd Expressway. And I remember thinking like, I could just kind of steer into the median here and then i won't have to go to work um I, I i wouldn't consider it suicidal or anything like that it wasn't uh the focus in my head was not dying the focus was not going to work not going to that job that place where i felt like there wasn't a supportive atmosphere and so when i ended up in that situation uh of course it it affected everything in my entire life it affected my relationship with my wife my relationship with my children and i responded uh, in the way that i think a lot of us are, are taught to respond as men we're trained from early age that there's a very specific range of emotions that are acceptable to display and the main one is anger and so i had a lot of anger issues Uh, anger issues that I couldn't target. It didn't always make sense to me. Uh, But I was mad at the company I worked for. I was mad at the leaders around me. I was mad uh, at my my mentor who was gone. I was mad at my family. I was mad at myself. I was mad at my doctors. And I didn't know how to process that and how to move forward. Mm -hmm. And so you know, eventually, um, obviously, I found a way forward, but it was uh, a long process for sure.
1: That's, uh, thank you for sharing. That's an amazing story. And I'm glad that, you know, you're still here and, and things are going well. But I think it's, it's so true in what you say, in terms of like, men are taught from a very young age that, A lot of the emotional spectrum is not available to you to show openly. And it does young young men such a disservice to learn this because um, if you've listened to the show before, I've said this so many times, emotions are just a form of information that are trying to tell us about what's going on in the situation and how we're interacting with it. So when you're constantly ignoring those emotions and just selecting for the one that you feel is okay to exhibit, it's crazy the impact that it has on your overall experience and also your ability to process the, the trauma or the whatever it is that you've gone through. Um, and Rob, we've talked about this so much, right? But it's it's across the board, it seems, that not very many men are taught how to experience and deal with that full spectrum of emotions
0: yeah it's it's funny right like my therapist said to watch um this movie called i think it's called the masks we wear and it's basically Mm. about men and boys how they're raised to not show any like basically any emotions that are considered feminine Mm -hmm. right which is like sadness or crying or even love is kind of off limits, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like it's very much about like stoicism, and and John's right. Like it's you're allowed to show anger, you know. Even happiness, in a way, is not exactly allowed. You know, like I, it's it's weird to say that, but it's like you're allowed elation, but you're not allowed to just be. I, I don't think you're allowed to just be content.
1: Yeah, you're allowed. You're allowed happiness in certain contexts, sports. Absolutely. (laughs) Rub some dirt in it and be happy, but.
2: (laughs) Well, and it's just such a, it's such a, a surreal experience. And I've heard both of you talk about this before, but I had moments where I'm sitting there and I have people at the company who, who are my superiors looking at me and saying, are you okay? There's something wrong. There's obviously a problem. And, like, I would look them straight in the face and say, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am okay. This is just how I am. If you think that that's wrong, then that's your problem, not mine. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's an issue. I was so unwilling to speak to anybody at all about any of the issues I was having. And that's really, you know, the the biggest thing that I, I want to emphasize to people is that talk to somebody, you know, it, it, it's the truth about anything. So I spent a long time in, uh, in quality, which is not the most, uh, it's not the most hands-on form of engineering that you can do, right? And I remember there was a day um, that my wife and I were having an argument about uh, she has one of these pitchers that filters water, right? That she fills up and it filters water and you drink it through the day. And I would never refill the pitcher when it got low, right? She always was refilling. It was one of the large units that kind of sits there. And then she came home one day and I was just kind of like, I, I've solved the problem. And she's like, what do you mean? And I was like, I'm just going to need like some aquarium tubing, a little water pump, <laughs> a relay, a float switch. And she's like, just, just refill the water container. (laughs) And and it was at that point I kind of realized, Hey, I need, if I'm not going to exercise my need to design, my need to fix things, my need to solve problems, it's going to surface in other areas in my life. And it's the exact same thing with your emotions. If you're going to suppress them and you're going to push them down, they're going to come out maybe in another form, but they're going to come out.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I wanted to touch too, also on the, for, for other people listening and um, wondering and maybe thinking about asking somebody if they're doing okay, the reflection of, I don't want to talk about it because I don't think I can talk about it is I'm fine. I'm good. I'm great. Don't worry about me because they want, like the person wants to convince you that they're fine. So you stop asking them. Right. It's not actually a reflection of how they feel. It's a reflection of the fact that they don't feel safe talking about it more often than not, which is interesting to take into account because like in your case, you weren't fine. You didn't feel great, (laughs) but you didn't feel like you could talk about your emotions to somebody else.
2: Right. And that is a form of of programming that you really have to, Put in effort to overcome. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, from a leader standpoint, your responsibility, and and you guys have touched on this, is to emphasize repeatedly over and over again that they can come to you, to build that safe space where you're willing to talk to them, you're willing to be open to discussing these and that you want them to come to you when they're not at their best, right? And then on, you know, the personal side, it's not something that you're going to get used to immediately. So the first time that I went to actually talk to a therapist um, was in 2016. So I just left that, that job where I was having so many issues. And my wife said, I think you should talk to somebody. And she drove me and she dropped me off. And I went in and I talked to somebody and I I was there to talk to them about my arm and I was there to talk to them about uh, the mentor I had lost and the job that I was leaving. And she came back and picked me up and she said, how did it go? And I was like, it was terrible. I cried. I screamed at the guy. And then I stormed (laughs) out. I'm never going back. And this poor, you know, this poor therapist in in Evansville just had a guy come in crying and screaming at him and then leave and never come back. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that was my first attempt at talking to somebody and it, it didn't go well because it was still, there were still a lot of hurdles within myself that I had to get over to become comfortable talking to somebody, especially uh, somebody I didn't know about the issues that I was having.
0: And I think that's something that's, I mean, it's common, right? But it's, it's something that I, I think a lot of people, like I've had these types of conversations lately is like, one is is the wife or the girlfriend is picking up on the issues and they're the ones who are reaching out for help for the the husband or boyfriend um, that's one thing and the other thing is just like this whole thing about therapy and people talk about it like well you need to to actually go and talk to somebody and you need to reframe and I think I think something that I see in my therapist is a lot of sessions where we're doing trauma work. We may say like a few sentences to each other and that's about it. And it's a lot of processing memories. It's a lot of feeling. It's a lot of like, you know, the somatic experience. You're doing the eye movements, the bilateral stimulation. And I think if you're worried about opening up Sometimes it's actually like trauma therapy doesn't require you to say much. And so it may even be an easier avenue to go towards versus something like CBT or even like a DBT, which is more um, kind of this feeling-based therapy.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely,
0: yeah.
1: And I think the other part of it too is like the – Perception that a lot of people have that going to therapy immediately fixes things. Like you go in your, <laughs>
0: <sessions,
1: right? Yeah. laughs> you your first couple of sessions, and you're a new person. Right. Actually, sometimes you start going to therapy and things get a little worse before they get better because you're finally uncovering all of the stuff that you've been burying for years sometimes. So, so being aware of that too, and it's, it's a good thing, even though it doesn't feel great at the time, like that kind of stuff sometimes needs to be brought back up so that you can process it and move on. But to know that, look, therapy takes work. It's hard. It's not easy, but it is the best decision that I think you can make is finding yourself somebody that you can go and talk to and work through those things with
2: absolutely yeah it's not you know therapy changed my life in a lot of ways it changed my relationship with my kids changed my relationship with my wife and it changed my professional relationship with the people i work with and it's not something that's going to happen overnight Um, there is no you know one fix for everybody uh, similar to, to leading people, um, it takes finding the right therapist, someone you have a good relationship with, somebody you're comfortable with, and the right techniques, the right uh, treatment that you need. And, you know, don't don't give up. Don't assume that one thing not working means that everything's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everybody has their own path that they have to walk. Everybody has their own timeline. And you can't measure yourself against success or failures
0: that other people had.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can't emphasize that enough. So,
1: yeah,
0: John, I'd like to dig a little further. Like you mentioned, that therapy changed your life in a lot of ways. Like, can you elaborate on that? Like, what has changed, and like, how is your life better?
2: So, one of the biggest changes for me has just been communication so i had this idea in my head before about the way i was supposed to act and anytime there was a confrontation anytime there was something remotely uncomfortable my my instinct was to shut down to defensively start to prepare to ward off an attack and to view everything as an attack and really recognizing that there isn't always malicious intent surrounding me and that speaking to people, communicating with people and making sure that I'm expressing my needs. I'm setting my boundaries. I'm talking to them about what I'm comfortable with and what I need really just completely changed the outcome. So, I mean, I've had multiple people now I've sent books to uh, because there are you know methods that we learned uh, in therapy, through counseling uh, with my wife that just changed the way that we talk to each other, the way that we communicate, how comfortable we are coming to each other with issues. It completely rebuilt our relationship. Mm-hmm. and so and that bleeds over into every other area of my life. So for a long time, right? If I had a conflict, it was really difficult for me. I would have an argument and I would just continuously get louder and louder and louder. And it was like the winner of the argument was whoever could could get the loudest, right? (laughs) Uh, And at the end, right, I'm like crying. I couldn't separate out, you know, anger from the other emotions I was having. So I get to the end of the argument. I'm crying. I feel terrible. Nothing was resolved. The other person doesn't feel like they were heard. Uh, and it wasn't an effective form of communication in any sense of the word. And so that's really the biggest change that I've seen is just recognizing that other people are trying to communicate with me. And you know my responsibility isn't to agree with them or to defend myself, but it is to listen to what they're saying and evaluate what they're saying, right? So don't go in looking to ward it off, but really hear what they're saying. You don't have to have the answers. You just have to be willing to be a participant in the communication that's happening.
0: Ooh, hoo, 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 hoo. I love this. This is see that like right there is great leadership, right? And that's the thing that that I think is is incredibly difficult for for people. Like I've started going down this train of. Well, I mean, I offer psychological safety assessments and part of the assessment is a debrief session where the team sits down with themselves. I mean, I'm, I'm there as the facilitator, but y- you try to open up these conversations about like what's working interpersonally, you know, what's not working interpersonally. And you try to open the floor for people to talk about these deep subjects where, you definitely get into these spots with, with people feeling uncomfortable, feeling attacked, feeling sometimes it's, it's, and for the most part, in my opinion, it's, it's probably like you're getting into these traumatic spots with people where they're not necessarily, like if you go to your boss and you say something like in this meeting where you say like, well, you're not listening to us, he's going to feel attacked, like he's not doing a great job. And I think that that's the biggest tip. And it's the hardest thing is if you've never done therapy, you never really learned these skills is like, how do you take that as feedback and not like, how do you step back from the conversation and just look at it from this curious point of view? Like, it's a really interesting thing.
1: How do you take it as feedback and not failure? Right. That's the big one, right, is we all come in with, especially into what we're talking about right now, which is at the workplace, everybody has their guards up towards judgment, naturally, right? And especially in workplaces where you're not talking about this kind of stuff, where you don't have effective leadership, Everybody says, I want no part of being judged on what I'm doing. And if you try to tell me I'm not doing a good job, the, it's going in one ear and out the other because I have this guard up for judgment. I don't even want to hear it. Right. So that goes back to what you were talking about, John, in terms of like, you have to be willing and able to actually listen to what's being said to you. And if you have that guard up, you're not really listening. You're Exactly. Yeah, you're outward facing like, yes, I'm looking at you, I'm nodding my head, but I am not processing any of this information. And that's one of the main things that we have to be able to do is like you said, Rob, is take the step back and say, okay, how can I look at this as not something that makes me want to get defensive, but as something that could potentially help me in the future?
2: Yeah and you know the thing that I found most interesting when I changed the way that I was approaching these high stress situations right which come up constantly in manufacturing in heavy industry everything's high stress there's always an emergency right and what I found most interesting is changing the way that I responded in the conversation changed the way that the person talking to me responded Mm-hmm. So when we talk about these kind of older styles of leadership, the gruff, the the big, uh, big, bold personalities that come right at you with what they want and what they need and they're loud and they're aggressive. Right. If you're calm, if you're explaining the situation, they're going to tone it down almost immediately. Nobody wants to be the guy screaming at a calm person. It's, okay. it's not it's not the, the right look. Right. And immediately, your the way that you respond in one of those situations can absolutely change the outcome of that and change the behavior of the person who's talking to you. And that was I wasn't prepared for that. I was ready for my you know for my response, for the way I acted to change. I wasn't ready for the entire event to change. Uh, it was really just a, a complete shock to me. <laughs>
0: Lauren, I guess for you, like, like I, I think I forget what day it was, but one, one of the sessions I had with my therapist, I, she, she asked me some questions and I got really kind of defensive and, and angry about it. And Mm -hmm. I remember like, like I sent her an email like afterwards and I was like, you know, I kind of ashamed of that and like, whatever, and she was like, oh, you know, this is part of what I do. Like, this is normal. And sometimes it gets into these spots. Like, how do you, as somebody who works in these, like, where, where you really are taking people into their trauma or into these deep spots, like, how do you stay, I guess, not emotionally involved in the conversation enough to see when an attack is, is not meant for you truly.
1: Mm. I think that always comes down to maintaining a level of compassion for wherever they're at and also maintaining the curiosity piece, right? Because if I remain curious about why it is that they're behaving a certain way, then I can sort of bypass the, Perception of an attack against me. Right. So if I can say, all right, well, this person is clearly getting angry and looking at it from an objective view, my mind immediately goes to not me. Oh, this must be something that I did. My mind instead goes to the why. What could, what is it about what I said or what I asked that's making them behave in this way? And then having that extra piece of, something that is extremely significant to them is coming up. And I have to hold space for um, acknowledging the fact that it must be difficult for them, something that they're not maybe ready to talk about yet. And that's where the compassion piece comes in and saying, look, I understand that this is difficult and it's not fun to do sometimes. And if you need extra time, then I am more than willing to give that to you because I'm not, I'm not there to, 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 look at them and say, Hey, you can't do that here. Right. It's a space. It's a safe space for them to get out whatever feelings that they need to. And it's, it's never a reflection on, or I shouldn't say never, but um, for, I always try to say it's where is it coming from and what must be um, of causing those emotions for them.
0: i love that and and john i guess for you do you have any tips for the audience like let's say they're starting to notice or this conversation is sort of like bringing up alarm bells for them what do you what 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 are your tips that that people should do well number one talk to somebody
2: um a professional if that's available to you if it's possible Um, EAPs are a good way to get your foot in the door sometimes. Um, But, you know, if that's not possible, uh, somebody that you trust. um, Be willing and open to talk about the issues that you're having. So we've talked a lot about men having this, this cultural reluctance to discuss our emotions. Uh, But what I want to emphasize, and one of the reasons I reached out to you guys, is that I'm not a mental health expert. I'm not uh, a therapist. I'm not, you know, in my element here. I'm just a regular guy. And I want everybody to recognize that when we say we have a cultural problem, we are the culture. Mm -hmm. So we can stand up and we can say, I'm willing to talk about the issues that I have. And I'm willing to listen if you need to talk about it. We can talk to our friends and we can emphasize with them that they can come to us. We can create spaces for the people that work for us and emphasize that they can come to us. So if we have a cultural issue, which we know we have, right, we can change that. We can stand up and we can say, we're going to change the way that we approach this and the way that we view it. And we're not going to let this trend continue. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to emphasize to people. If you're saying, what can I do? I'm a regular guy. I have these issues or I see these issues in someone close to me. The answer is to talk about it, to not hide it, to not make it something that's stigmatized and hidden away from public view, but let's talk about it. Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: that's that's really the only way that this is going to change.
1: I love that. I love the piece of when you said, like you're talking about culture. Well, we make up the culture. Right. And I, I feel like that is something that a lot of people run into in their workplace. Is like, well, the culture is not right for me. And it's like, well, there are things that you can do to start pushing the needle, but you have to take the first step and becoming open about it and communicating that maybe something's not working for you or that there's a better way that you think that things can be done. And while that takes a very... Um, A courageous act to sometimes take that first step, it is within your power to at least try to shift that needle. And while you may not change the entire company's culture, you might be able to change your own teams, which could be hugely beneficial.
2: Exactly. And when you do that, the rest of the company is going to see that. Mm -hmm. They're going to see the impact. They're going to see that people want to be part of that. And they're going to see that effectiveness goes up, productivity goes up, and overall morale goes up. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I mean, culturally, we're it. We get to change that as a society, as a company, as a family. You get to change that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we can take those steps, and it's not easy uh, but I wanted to put myself out there and say, this is something you can do. You can talk to people who know me, people who work with me now or who, who have worked with me, and there's a long list of adjectives they would use to describe me, I'm sure. Some of them good, some of them bad, but they would run through a whole lot of descriptors before they got to effeminate or weak or something like that, right? And I, I want people to know that Having emotions, talking about them, being willing to listen to other people, doesn't make you those things. It mm-hmm. makes you a human being who's willing to grow, and that's what we need to emphasize.
0: Ooh, and that's and that's true leadership, and and it's something that, I'll, like, uh, we'll leave you with this today. Is Clive Lloyd always says he said. You know that speaking up can't be weak because it's easy to do nothing. It's easy to say nothing. Mm-hmm. And so the inverse is hard. And so it's, it's just a really interesting point is think about it that way. Now, that's, John, if anyone that's is that, that's amazing. That's <laughs> right. Eh? Now, John, if anyone's listening and they want to connect with you, where can they find you?
2: Yeah, uh, I have a LinkedIn. I'm fairly active on there, um, so they can feel free to look me up on there. I'm uh, in the greater Boston area, so uh, send me a, a message or an invite on LinkedIn, and we can connect there. I don't have a very public presence outside of that, though.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll drop your your LinkedIn in the podcast notes, and I mean, this was this was a great conversation. I think there's a ton that we can take from this one. Lauren, is there anything you want to leave us with today?
1: I think aside from that last little nugget that we got out of you, John, I'm I'm blown away just by the way that you articulated it, right? If there's something about culture that you don't love, we make up the culture. So, what is it that you want to change? And to go off of what you said, Rob, it is far easier to not do anything, to not say anything. So actually speaking up and doing something about it is the courageous and oftentimes the right thing to do. Doesn't, it doesn't make you, you know, those things that you said, Jonathan, effeminate or weak actually makes you one of the stronger people in the room. So don't be afraid to do it.
2: Absolutely.
0: I love it. And for me, it it reminds me of what I said to, to fix during their keynote would have been a, uh, almost a year ago. Mm -hmm. And I said something along the lines of a movement starts with each and every one of us. Mm -hmm. And it starts with us stepping up for the people around us and doing exactly what John mentioned in this podcast today is we can start and leadership starts with us. So step up, have those conversations, create those spaces and we can change our world. And if we change our world, and everyone does it. We change the entire world. So get out there and make it happen, John. Thank you for joining us today.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. It was, uh, it was a really interesting conversation. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that I was able to have it with you.
0: you know, we, we loved having you, and you brought the heat. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm happy for for having you back on, and and it's always amazing. Everybody listening, thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next
2: week.